0: So, Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time that we can gather together as your people, as friends, as family, as brothers and sisters. That we can listen to your word. That we can receive your message to us, God. We pray that your spirit opens up our hearts and our minds to do just that. That we can be transformed by your spirit. That we can be sent back out into this world, into our communities, our neighborhoods, our schools, our workplaces, empowered by you with good news of great joy. So God, I ask that that would happen this morning, even in, in spite of me, that you would speak through me, uh, that you would open up each of our hearts and minds to be transformed with that good news, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so what did you guys do? What do you do when you're really, really happy? What's, what's an expression that comes out, Tammy? this? I like that. I'm going to start doing that. (laughs) Jump, clap, and spirit fingers, right? That's awesome. Jazz hands. Jazz hands, sorry. What, what, What things typically bring that out of you? Great! I could picture you, Tammy, at the Home Depot looking at new windows, like these ones are perfect. That's awesome. What else? What else do we do when we get really, really happy? Cindy, cry. Yeah. Tell me about that. What? What brings that out? <laughs> It's always my goal to get at least one person to cry in every sermon, so <laughs> if we can get it out of the way now, I'm then sorry. we could rest. <laughs> it's just that my heart just swells, and it's just so overwhelming. I'm, I can't control it. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I've been there. I could probably relate a little more to that one than jazz hands, but so I'm usually somewhere in between. Anyone else? What what do you do when you're really happy? Anthony? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it could be like the most amazing news. And I've seen it. And Anthony's like. You know his face right here? Cool. (laughs) Jazz hands on the inside. That's awesome. Well, I uh, Matt came up and asked me, and so I told him, when I get really happy, uh, usually not always, but usually it's when I'm eating something really good, and I start humming and doing a little happy dance while I'm eating, uh, and so like I won't notice it, but like I'll just start kind of. Mm, 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 mm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. eating a burrito, tapping the foot. If it's really good, my hips start swaying, you know, and it, it's a little awkward. So if you want to, like, share a meal with me, just be prepared, okay? It happens sometimes. But uh, there's, there's something about good things, which we were designed to enjoy, right? God is the maker of all things. All good things, we said, come from him. And he's designed us to experience that and to enjoy that. And there's something about those good things and, and just the goodness in creation that evokes a response. It brings out sometimes a physical response from us, right, that we, we just can't really contain it. It starts coming out of us and we respond either with jazz hands or tears of joy or the subtle nod and smile <laughs> or little happy dances and humming, right, like. And oftentimes what we see throughout scripture is when people face the incredible joy that God has to offer. It invokes in them a response of singing. We see that when God saves Israel out of Egypt, right? And not only has he saved them out of Egypt from slavery, but now the Egyptians are following them. They're chasing them. They're hunting them down. And God has led them into this little peninsula where they're surrounded now by a body of water. And a great army ready to take them back to be slaves. And it's in that moment of despair of what is going to happen where God shows up and he miraculously makes a way for them where there wasn't a way, leads them across on dry land, swallows up their enemies with the sea. And when they get to the other side, what does Moses' sister Miriam do? She leads the people in singing. She leads the people in a response of singing because of the joy that they were just saved from certain death, right? And this song becomes a song, an anthem almost, that God's people Israel would sing pretty regularly to remind themselves of what God had done. And so this morning, as we're continuing to go through the first chapter of Luke, there's so much going on in one chapter of Luke. We're going to look at another Mary another Miriam, who sings in responsive joy because of God's salvation. And so turn with me to Luke chapter 1, and we're starting in verse 39. And What we're going to do this morning is I'm going to read a little bit of the story. We're going to pause and we're going to examine it and maybe even respond, and then we'll go back to read a little bit more of the story, okay? And so before we start in verse 39, just a reminder, we were looking at, Luke is writing to a friend. He's writing to someone to let him know how you can have hope, how you can trust in this good news, these things that have happened among us. Something has taken place in the world that is changing everything. And he says, I've examined this. I've looked into this. You can trust this. I've spoken to eyewitnesses. I've looked into their claims to make sure that it's accurate. And then he starts going back and forth between two stories, two families. He's looking at Zechariah and Elizabeth, an older couple who wanted a child their entire life, has been faithful to the Lord, called a righteous people, but yet they haven't had a child and they're getting old now. And then a young girl named Mary, or the Hebrew name would have been Miriam, and she is young, maybe as Wade said last week, maybe around 12 or 13. Already in that culture, she's engaged to be married, but she's not married yet. And both of these people are visited. Zechariah is visited, this old man. And young Mary is visited by an angel who tells them, you're going to have a child. In impossible ways, in impossible circumstances. One, you're you're too old. You've been trying your whole life. It doesn't doesn't seem like it's going to happen. It seems impossible. The other one, you're too young. You haven't yet known a man. You are not married yet. Seems impossible that you could have a child, right? Physics don't really work that way. Biology doesn't work that way. And yet, this angel comes and visits both of them and tells them this news. And we see, on one hand, Zechariah struggles to believe that. He's like, how can this be? My wife and I, were too old for this. There's no way. And we see, on the other hand, this young girl with such faith says, I don't understand it, but I'm a servant of God. And whatever you say, let it be. Let it be so for me. So she receives this news six months later after Zechariah has received the news. And now she's going to go see Zechariah and Elizabeth because Elizabeth, Zechariah's wife, is actually Miriam's much older cousin. So this is where we pick up verse 39. She's just received this word from the angel. And in verse 39, Luke continues to write In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you young among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Remember, this is, this is a woman maybe in her 90s in a culture that very much valued those who were older over those who were younger. And she's speaking to a young 12 or 13-year-old girl. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. We're going to pause right there. Remember this culture, this time with these people. uh, As I said, they, they very much valued and esteemed those who were older in age. You can see that in the birthrights given out to children. The firstborn was always one to receive the birthright, the inheritance of their father. And then you can see that in uh, situations in culture where those who were elder were dignified and more esteemed and were often given better seats at the table or better places to worship in the synagogue. And not only that, not only were the elder more esteemed, but the elder males were the highest esteemed. And so you have this young girl, Mary, coming from this poor town of Nazareth. In fact, we we see in scripture somewhere else in the story, the question, can anything good even come out of Nazareth? After the angel goes and visits Zechariah at the temple, a priest, an elder man, gives him this good news he struggles to believe. Six months later, he goes to the little town of Nazareth, which would be kind of like saying then the angel went over to yuma I'm Like really? Why would you go there? Sorry if anyone's from Yuma in here. Goes there visits this young girl, this young poor girl, this young poor unwed girl and gives her news, now you are going to have a baby. And she's like, I don't understand. I'm not married. That's impossible. But whatever you say. Whatever you say. And think about, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of Mary in this moment. And, and Wade did a great job talking about this a little bit last week. But think about what must have been going on in her mind. Like, to, to come to your community now, to your own family even, as a young, 12-year-old, unmarried girl, and to say, I'm pregnant and as Wade pointed out last week, you could be stoned for that. You could be ostracized from your family for that. You could be booted out of the community for that. All kinds of things could have happened to this young girl. Think about women in here who are moms or who have ever been pregnant. Think about how scared you were the first time you found out you were pregnant. How do I care for this baby? Right? And she's thinking, I- I'm not married yet. This guy, Joseph... It's not his baby. I'm gonna tell him I'm pregnant. What's he gonna do? Is he gonna leave? Is he gonna out me to the community? And so, even if I survive this, I'm stuck taking care of a baby all by myself now. And by the way, this baby's the son of God. So, don't mess it up, Mary, right? Think about all that pressure. And Mary hears this news, and she runs to see her cousin, Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, this is one of the most beautiful interactions I think I've seen in people and humans written down in the Scripture. These two women. Elizabeth with such faith. we, We saw in her story last week just her trust in God throughout it all. And her joy, even when her husband comes home mute, he can't talk anymore because he doubted what the angel said she's filled with joy because of what the Lord is doing in her life. And her young cousin comes into the home. And immediately, the baby inside her womb starts doing jazz hands. Right? He's jumping around for joy. And we're told that Elizabeth is actually filled with the Holy Spirit in that moment too. Remember what the angel said to Zechariah. Your son will be filled with the Holy Spirit even in the womb. And now we're seeing this. This baby, not yet born, this fetus inside of Elizabeth, hears the greeting of Mary, and something in this life knows good news is coming. Isn't that incredible? The Holy Spirit is at work even then inside little baby John. And that fills Elizabeth, his mother with such excitement and joy, that she starts exclaiming what good news this is. And what we see next is a response that comes out of Mary herself, that is so filled with joy, so filled with wonder, so filled with amazement, that many people believe she was actually singing it. Now we don't know this for certain, and in fact it says, and Mary said, and then we'll read it, but the way it's written out, it's so much like the way the Psalms were written. And and the way that the literary structure is, and the way that the the poem of it appears to be, it, it seems like, and especially with the amount of joy she had, she was just bursting out. She starts singing. This is what God's people did. They sung often to remind themselves of how good God is, especially in moments where it seemed the darkest, where it seemed like things were hopeless. They would sing. Have you ever been around people like that, that like life's like a musical to them? And they just start burst out singing out of nowhere, and you're like, oh, my goodness. Stop it, please, right? I have to admit, I am a terrible singer, and I'm one of those people. So it's really bad on my wife's ears. At home, I'll just start singing, and I'll just make up songs about whatever's going on in the house. And I don't know if she really appreciates it but there's, there's something that is stirred up in us often. I wanna give us just a little bit of an example of what that could look like, okay? Uh, this, is, this is an example of what this looks like for, for regular people in regular settings, um, but, but it's not necessarily the same joy that Mary has to sing about. So there's, how, how many of you have seen The Greatest Showman, that movie? Yeah, Hugh Jackman, the Wolverine himself. The Wolverine himself uh, shows us that he's actually quite the thespian and can star in a musical too. And so there's this story, and I, and I found this video, that during the very beginning stages of trying to get this movie greenlit, trying to get it into production, they had all these execs come in. And what they were doing is they were going through the songs, going through the numbers. So they had to get the whole cast together in New York, and they went through these songs. And the day before this was supposed to happen, Hugh Jackman calls the producer, and he says, hey, I just had to go in to get some skin removed on my nose because of skin cancer. I'm fine. I know you were worried about me, but I'm fine. But I have 80 stitches in my nose, and the doctor told me, no singing. I will be allowed to sing when we start filming the movie. I cannot right now. And so the guy's like, great, this is like our big thing, like, to try to sell this movie is Hugh Jackman singing. So he's like, that's fine. Come, stand in the place. We'll have someone else sing for you all the numbers. They get to one song, and this young man is singing for Hugh Jackman, and all of a sudden, he just can't contain himself. And he starts singing. And I want us to see, I want us to watch that. I want you to look at, one, what's coming out of him, but also what it starts doing to the people around him. So check this out. From now these are What's waiting till tomorrow starts tonight? Starts tonight. Let this promise in me start like an anthem in my heart. From now on, from now on. So there, you saw like jazz hands happening there, right? You saw tears happening. You saw just a huge exclamation and outburst of happiness coming out of there. I've asked the band now to lead us through that song together. <laughs> and I know like you're going to leave here and the only thing that's going to be stuck in your head is that song. You're not going to remember anything i said. But I wanted us to see that. That, that is a picture of what I'm talking about. And listen, yeah, they're not they're not singing about Jesus. Right? And we'll we'll get to that. But here's what I do want to affirm in that. What I want to look at in that. There's something stirring up in him that he just he can't hold it in anymore. He's got 80 stitches in his nose and he's like I just I have to sing. And that song, that song, I don't know if you could catch some of the lyrics, but he's talking about, you know, I've I've drank champagne with kings and queens, politicians praise my name, and he's saying, but from now on, my eyes will not be blinded by the light. There is this this bit of truth and beauty in there, of creational goodness found within that of like, listen, we all chase after these things. We we chase after these things that this other kingdom tells us about, but they failed us. I'm not going to be blinded by that anymore. There's a sense of turning a sense of drawing the line in the sand from now on, right? And then what that stirs up for the people around him. When one person starts just exalting in joy, what that causes and stirs in other people. It looks like they were worshiping, doesn't it? Yeah. But here's the question is, no matter how good that song is, by all accounts, that's a, that's a good song. I've been singing it all week. <laughs> Mary has a much better song. Mary has a much better song. Because Mary recognizes that she too, and not just her, but all of God's people, all of Israel, and not just them, but all of the world, all of humanity, has also been blinded by the lies of another kingdom. That they too have been chasing after the cheers and applause of man. That they too have been chasing after the the riches and good food and things like that that are all a gift from God, but they've been seeking those things in themselves to satisfy them. And Mary knows that she can't just draw that line in the sand, that she can't, little 12-year-old Mary in the town of Nazareth, just stand up and choose herself to save herself. She knows there's got to be someone coming to make this all right again. And this has been a promise given to God's people from the very beginning. So let's look at Mary's song. And hopefully, my prayer is that this song she sings just like what we saw, stirs within us too. This joy and exaltation and excitement. Mary starts singing, verse 46, right after Elizabeth gives this exclamation of what God has done in her. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed." As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And we're told Mary remains with Elizabeth for about three months before she returns home. Just the right amount of time for Elizabeth to give birth to her baby. If you caught some similarities in there, I actually didn't catch it until I just read it right now. She even says from now on. I was like, I read that, I was like, oh. I didn't do that on purpose. From now on, there's something that's changed right now, and it's not what I've done. It is what God himself has done. Emmanuel, God come to be with us, even with me. She starts very, very personal, right? Very individual. Like, God's looked on on me in my low, humble estate. Like, I'm I'm not anyone special. And God sees me, and God's come to me, God cares for me. And not only that, but now he has come for all of Israel. The way he promised to our our father Abraham generations ago. The way he has promised to our ancestors throughout all these generations. God is coming to save us. This is incredible. It starts personal and then it, it broadens. It becomes communal. It becomes much bigger than just her. And she's saying, this God, he hears those who are in need, and he comes to them. And those who have brought themselves high, who have made themselves proud, who think they don't need him, who think they have everything that they need, he humbles them. He brings them down because he is the king. He is the one who is majestic and magnificent. He sits on the throne. He is the Lord. This is what is stirring up within Mary, even in the midst of what could have been a very fearful time for her. Even in the midst of seeming like you're in that peninsula surrounded by water and an army. When you're in this moment of like, I don't know what to do, how am I gonna care for this baby alone, and am I even going to survive this? What are the things that you're going through right now? And it could be as simple as, I don't know how I'm gonna afford Christmas presents for my family this year. Or as simple as, I just haven't gone out and done the shopping yet. What is that stirring up within you? Anxiety? Fear? Anger? Depression? I mean, really think about it. What has been being stirred up within your soul this season? What are the things that have been coming out of you around your family, around your friends, around your neighbors, around your coworkers, around your classmates? What have they been seeing? That outward, physical, external exclamation, what has it been telling them? What story are they being given? What's stirring up in you? Because we have a lot of other stories competing with us this season and throughout all of life. We have a lot of other stories telling us to go out and chase other things. We have a lot of things being presented to us and offered to us as the answer, as the hope, as something that will satisfy and give us joy, something that will bring you peace in your life. And what Mary knew at the young age of 12, 13, what Mary knew, an uneducated, most likely illiterate, young girl from the town of Nazareth, what she knew is that there is only one thing, one person who could bring that to us, the hope, the peace, the joy. And it's found in the love of God. And so she cries out, singing and exclaiming how good this God is. Now maybe if you're like me, you could relate a little bit more to the story of Zechariah. Remember him? Luke's been following both their stories along this way. And Zechariah, instead of being able to sing, right when he gets the news, his mouth is shut because he doubts, because he does have fear, maybe some anxiety, because he has disbelief. And so through the angel, God shuts his mouth for a time. He can't sing. He can't exalt the Lord out of joy. At least not verbally, not vocally. But here's what I want us to see. If we continue reading from there, we see this story now. Mary stays until the time that John should be born. And John is born. Zechariah and Elizabeth have a boy too, just like God promised. And this baby is born... And Elizabeth says, we need to name him John. She knows this is what the angel told her husband. But her friends, her family, they're like, John, you have no one in your family named John. You see, in this time, you would name your children after ancestors. Or you would have a very strong purpose for the name you gave them. John seemed to come out of nowhere. Why would you name this baby John? And so they fought against her. Like, could you imagine that, moms, when you go to name your kids? And people, like the whole community around you is like, no, 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 that's a dumb name. Why would you? I told my dad one time what we were naming our boys when they were born. He was like, uh, really? <laughs> so, you know, like, we don't do that typically, though, in our culture. Like, it's, you're going to name your kid what you want to name your kid. If you want to call your kid Apple, okay, what am I going to do about that? But this, this seemed to be a much more communal people. And so the whole community is coming around like, no, 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 you, you don't name your baby John so they said, we're going to go get Zechariah. We're going to ask your husband. He's going to lay the law down. He's in charge, really. He'll tell us what to name this child. Like completely overlooking her wishes. And so they go to Zechariah, and they're like, what do we name your baby? And so he motions to get something to write on. And he writes down, his name is John. And out of that obedience, and out of seeing now what God has done, that what God promised actually came about, John's voice is opened back up. And what does John do? I want to skip down to verse 67 in chapter 1 and read you John's moment of singing. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. These are his first words in nine months. And holiness and righteousness before him all our days. There's a lot of similarities there to Mary's song. I remember what you promised to your people long ago, to Abraham and our other ancestors. God, you're doing it. This is incredible. But I love Zechariah goes even further. It's not just personal, what you've done for me, Lord. It's not just communal, what you're doing for Israel. But listen to this. He turns now. And he starts speaking to this newborn child. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. He kind of opens up and unfolds even more. All of those in darkness, even the Gentiles, even those who aren't Israel, part of God's called, chosen people. Why? Because he understands, Zechariah the priest understands, God's people, Israel, were called not just to be saved, but that they would be blessed to be a blessing that they would show the nations what this God is like. And they failed to do that time and time again. And now, Zechariah is saying, I failed to trust. We failed as a people to trust. But God, but God has still shown up. God has still shown up, and God has come to be like one of us, to be part of his people. He is taking on the identity of Israel to do exactly what Israel was always called to do, to be a blessing to all the nations. That all in darkness would see the light of truth, of love. That all would be able to experience the joy of Advent. Zechariah gets to sing. It takes him a little longer to get there. Where are you at right now? what is it going to take to get your heart there? To be able to see, taste and see that God is good, to experience the joy and to respond to this good news with singing, with exaltation. God, you are magnificent. God, you haven't left us alone. Emmanuel, you have come to dwell with your people. And now, just as Mary and Zechariah saying, now we're free to serve him and we're free to tell others about that great joy. This is what the season is about. And you know this. You all know it. You've listened to Wade and I say it several times. You know it here. But it's my prayer that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because that's what it took for Elizabeth, for John, for Mary, for Zechariah. Did you notice the seeking came when they were filled with the Holy Spirit? That we would be filled with the Holy Spirit, church, that we would know here that this good news is true. Pray with me. God, we know that the only way we will be filled with your Holy Spirit, the only way we will experience and truly see the joy and the goodness of the good news of Jesus God coming to be with us, to rescue us, to save us, to pull us out of darkness, to pull us out of the lies of the story of this world, to pull us out of our own selfishness, and to bring us back to you, the only way we will truly experience that joy is by you and your grace, by your spirit coming upon us and filling us. God, many of us have seen and tasted and experienced that joy but at times we get distracted by the cares of this world we we get overwhelmed by the tyranny of the urgency on this earth we look at the brokenness that still exists here and we forget about the restoration that has already come God forgive us and don't leave us there Emmanuel, come, be with us, draw us out of that. Help us to daily, to daily repent, to turn away from those lies that blind us, to turn to you, to see your good news and fill our hearts with joy. God, may we sing to you with our voices, with our hands, with our lives lived out every single day and the places that you send us. We ask this in Jesus' name.